Hi everyone, welcome to another digital tourism show. And for those of you who are watching this on video, you can see I'm in my bedroom today, still in lockdown here in the UK. Although there is a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel. Um, it seems that some of the restrictions will be lifted soon. So I'm hoping that within your own destinations, that, that will also be the case. But more importantly, you're staying well and you're staying safe. But in this episode, we have the absolute pleasure of speaking with Elisa Schoenfeld of Bites of Boston. Now, me and Elisa had a really good chat about how she grew her business from her background being in uh, having an honours degree in neuroscience and how she became a tour operator. So she's going to talk a little bit about her journey, but also about how the current COVID crisis is going to impact her business. Now, one caveat I will say is this was filmed at the very start of the crisis. So there's been a lot of things that have happened over the weeks, but it still offers some really good insights into how, into, into how she has grown her business and how she has uh, looking forward to the coming months and years. So it's a great episode. Elisa has a great business and it's one certainly not to miss. So thanks again, Elisa, for joining us. Uh, I really do appreciate you taking the time out of your, your, your busy schedule. I know you're a busy person, so I, I really do appreciate it. And thanks for joining us on the Digital Tourism Show. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to uh, to chat with you today. Excellent. Well, I'm going to, uh, I have to remember when I, when I've, obviously I made you arrival, we had a good chat there. Um, and uh, when we decided to do this this, this online chat, I had to look. I had to look at your your LinkedIn profile, as everyone does. They do a little bit of online stalking. Um, <laughs> so I, I noticed that you you had you actually have a background in, in neuroscience, and you even managed uh, a team of sales reps. So, what made you? What made you start up uh, Bites of Boston? What made you have that sort of career change? And how, what did you, what got you into the, the travel sector? Yeah, so that's um, an interesting question. And I think my LinkedIn profile definitely um, tells a confusing story. My path has not necessarily been linear, so to speak. But, you know, looking back, it kind of all makes sense how how everything fell into place. So <clears throat> the short answer is uh, I worked in a corporate sales position for close to 10 years. And then I fell victim to kind of the story that you hear a lot of other people tell where just one day out of the blue, there was a big reorganization. Uh, my position was eliminated. And I found myself kind of at a crossroads of continuing down the same path I had been in or completely switching gears. The longer answer involves um, the fact that I started, um, I do have a neuroscience background. I started working um, right after college in Boston in a research capacity at Mass General Hospital and then found that, um, you know, kind of working in the monotony is sort of ongoing research was was a little bit too monotonous, uh, for lack of a better word for me, and I needed something a little bit more dynamic. And I ended up uh, finding myself in a technical sales position, which was great, because instead of having to just focus on the same uh, one research project day in and day out, I got to visit all kinds of labs and see what everybody was doing and all all sorts of different uh, types of of clinical research and such. That position um, ended up taking me out to Seattle, um, which was great. I'd always wanted to live outside of New England, um, thought that might happen in college. It did not. I only made it as far as Connecticut. So many years later, I had the opportunity uh, to take a position in the Pacific Northwest. And 
while I was living there, when I first moved, uh, my mother was coming out to visit and I saw an ad for a food tour and it sounded fantastic. Um, take anything and add food to it. I'm pretty much on board is, is the, the way that that read to me. And so um, I told her about it. it. Sounded great to her too. Um, my heritage on my mother's side is Greek. So food is definitely a huge part yeah. of um, family gatherings and pretty much everything we do all the time. So um, really into the food aspect of it. So we took that tour, loved it. Uh, I was new to the city. It gave me a great introduction to you know, not only the downtown area and how it was laid out and some of the, the restaurants and what they offered, and definitely some more hole in the wall kind of spots that I may have never discovered on my own. And yeah. four years that I lived in Seattle, I continued to go back to those restaurants that I learned about on that tour. And it just kind of always stuck with me. Um, I love the concept. I found myself thinking about the business model. You know, how do they do this? What happens? What's the relationship with the restaurants? But I wasn't necessarily at a point where I was going to quit my job. Um, that gave me the security of a salary and bonuses and a laptop and all the other perks that come with uh, sales positions. So, you know, a couple of years, in the meantime, I was sort of moving up the ladder at my company, became a regional sales manager, had a big team across, you know, six states. And then it all kind of one day literally just got upended. And um, I had built a big enough network on both coasts to stay within the industry and continue working. But at that moment, it was just, I think that it's time for a change. I'm going to move back to Boston, give this a whirl. And, you know, worst case scenario, if it doesn't work out, I can hopefully rely on that network and go back. But I'm entering season nine. So things are wow. looking good. Yeah, <laughs> so that's great. <laughs> they always say when you get past your, your sort of five years, you that's that's it takes five years to really get established in a business. So the fact that you're up to nine years now, that's that's good going. That's good going. Well, well done. Thank you. Yeah, I'm almost. I've almost been doing this as long as as I was um, working my uh, sales job. So that's a that's a big milestone. <laughs> For sure. So, so when, yeah. when you started up Bites of Boston, what was the sort of main challenges you had with that? No, obviously, when you start up a food tour, um, speaking to other food tour operators that I have done in the past, um, you obviously a lot of it's built up through the. the uh, the rapport you have with the local community in terms of restaurants and, and, and eateries and various other things as well. So was that a challenge and, or and what other challenges did you find when you were setting up a business that you, you had to overcome? Yes. Um, looking back, the, the main challenge that stands out to me was um, the ability to get in front of or get in touch with the right person at the restaurants I was trying to work with. Um, the way that I started it, I, I really wanted to have sort of all my ducks in a row before I approached the restaurants, which in retrospect, um, I maybe should have started talking to the restaurants first because it ended up that that was the most time consuming part um, of, of the process. So believe it or not, it really is hard to believe now, but in 2011 and in such a big city like Boston, food tours were not really happening. There was one woman um, who sort of does more of a market tour that's geared towards local Italian markets in the North End, which is our little Italy. And aside from that, there wasn't anything of the sort happening. So I was basically, you know, recently back from living out west. I'm from the area, so I was back home. Um, but going into, you know, restaurants where I had no relationships and basically saying, hi, my name is Alyssa and I have this idea that involves, you know, your restaurant. And it kind of ran the gamut of, you know, once I was able to get in front of the right person, 
people were interested. They wanted to participate, which was a pleasant surprise. And in fact, the six restaurants that I was hoping to be part of my tour from the beginning all ended up becoming part of the tour. So there weren't any that um, refused to participate, but it wasn't necessarily easy. Uh, Boston also, you know, we have a reputation for being pretty blunt and upfront. So a lot of it was just like, what, you know, like what, what is it that you're doing and how does that impact me? And, you know, just a lot of questions, a lot of confusion, a little bit of skepticism, but for the most part, when I got in front of the right person, I was able to tell the story. They liked the idea. We moved forward. Um, so that was kind of the food tour challenge and something that if I had to do over, I would probably have approached the restaurants first to sort of gauge what the interest level was going to be. And if there had sure. been a complete sign that nobody was going to do this, I could have saved myself a lot of work on the rest of the itinerary and, and um, things of that nature. Aside from that, though, I had never owned my own business. I had never even had my own website um, for anything. So everything in that respect was a challenge, not necessarily a negative one, but just everything's new from setting up the business and figuring out the legal logistics and the city of Boston regulations for, you know, tourism businesses and taxes. We're really good at taxing everything in Massachusetts. So that's a challenge. Um, <laughs> setting up a website, figuring out a ticketing solution. Um, all of those things was just, and, and I was doing everything myself. So um, I learned a lot in a very short amount of time, but what sticks out to me mostly is how tough it was really to get in front. It's a lot of run around, you know, like yeah. you go in and talk to a manager and they're excited. They love the idea. And then you realize at the end of the conversation, they're not the person who can yay or nay it, so to speak, and kind of getting access to um, the person behind the curtain, that's kind of what it felt like, you know, a little bit Wizard of Oz-ish, like, how do yeah. I get to that guy? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it, and that's the thing, though, I, I suppose every business owner goes through that when they're starting up, it's the amount of work that actually goes behind it that you have to do behind the scenes. You, do, you know, I've done it myself, you have to do it all yourself. You know, obviously, you can get people to help you out, but when money's tight and you're starting out and things like that, then you have to take care of everything yourself, and that sort of leads sort of wanted my next question in terms of when you did start out which marketing efforts did you did you take to let the customers know they exist you know but did you find certain aspects worked well and did work well and imagine if you, you had to do a lot of this yourself at the early stages so what was the sort of challenges with that as well yeah so i will say too you know speaking of, of challenges from the previous question but if i had to sort of rank the challenge ongoing it's definitely marketing it seems constantly like trial and error it's also changing a lot i mean print ads were much more i think viable nine years ago when i started things have moved much more you know towards the digital side of things and also the buying behavior really impacts the advertising too i've i've definitely seen a change in people booking a couple weeks out a couple months out and now everyone's on their mobile phones and kind of waiting till the last minute not really ready to commit and so the marketing that you do in reaching out to people has to sort of go with their buying behavior as well so it's it's a lot to keep up with yeah. early on um, I did do some print advertising. One specifically that I probably, you know, spent the most money on was a magazine that is um, a publication that's put into a lot of hotel rooms. And it was pricey. I mean, to me as a new business that, you know, wasn't even really sure what the income that first year was going to be. <clears throat> and what I found was, you know, a, not necessarily immediately early on because we started with smaller groups, but pretty quickly our weekend tours would fill up and, you know, there were certain days we had availability and other days we didn't. And, and I found that was challenging because people would either come by the time they're in their hotel room, 
looking at this publication, if they're even going to look at it, typically one of two things was happening. One, they arrived at that hotel room with all of their plans in place for the next few days they were going to be there. So maybe they saw it looked good, but they didn't have time in their schedule to do it. Will they return to Boston? Remember to do it at a later date? Who knows? Um, on the flip side, you know, people would come sometimes, I think, and, you know, have some availability in their schedule. They are looking at that publication for things to do, and we didn't necessarily have the ability for them that last minute. So I quickly discovered that that was not uh, necessarily the best place or time for me to be in front of people. Um, and that I really needed to be in front of them when they were making their decisions, um, about their vacations and sort of planning what would happen. Overall though, you know, now food tourism and food tours specifically are very well known. They exist in so many cities and not only the big cities, but smaller, you know, cities as well. People are familiar and they seek them out when they go um, to different destinations. So that alone has been really helpful, um, you know, kind of having a presence online when people are searching for those types of things to do. Mm -hmm. I will say though that, you know, from that initial print ad marketing, a lot of good things did come out of it. Um, I had some really good relationships with the editors of that publication who introduced me to other people within the city. I ended up getting involved with, um, I met them through the Greater Boston uh, Visitors and Convention Bureau, of which I was a member and um, just recently became a member again of that um, bureau this year. Um, that was another thing I learned is that I was too small to really um, be able to handle a lot of the incoming requests that they had for the groups that were visiting Boston. Um, so that was not money well spent uh, necessarily. But now that I can, uh, I'm kind of going back down that road. And then also to, you know, different members of the concierge um, community within Boston. So I would say that all the money that I did spend on that print ad was not all wasted or yep. bad. Uh, because a lot of good networking opportunities came out of it that have continued to, you know, serve me well since since the beginning. Yeah. No, and I think I think that's a good thing. You know, a lot of people um, forget about print advertising, and yes, uh, I have to admit that it has its time and place. Uh, it's not as effective anywhere near as effective as it used to be, in my opinion. Um, but you can do a lot more with your money being online. But for certain circumstances, print ads can still be very, very useful. And as you say, it opens up doors, it opens up things like that as well. So, um, yeah. but I'm actually doing um, a couple of new ones this year. I've kind of gone back to that route. One is a neighborhood guide that's put out by, you know, Faneuil Hall and the downtown area in Boston that goes out to all the visitors that come through and we have a tour that's right in that area. So I think strategically appealing to people who are going to be in that part of the city and looking for um, things to do similar with another community publication that's in the South End kind of to focus on our South End tour. So I definitely see the value. It's, it's a, a matter of just kind of finding the right ones and yep. that are going to target the audience that is going to be interested in what you're doing. Yeah. And I, I know I've been um, with well, running the tourism marketing for 13 years and in the last few years, as you mentioned, the, the exposure of food tours has been quite incredible across the world. And I, I think partly it's because it's such a, it's such a good way to learn more about a destination and, and, and finding your feet around. Now it used to be that and a lot of people still do. It, I still do it, but you go on a, an open top bus tour to get a sense of a, of a destination and get a sense of where it is. But the fact that you can do that on foot, visit places where, where you can possibly go back for, for dinner or fight. Because when anything you visit a destination, one of the things you always worry about is where am I going to go to eat? Where's good? <laughs> and, and that's that's the beauty of food tours. It's, it allows you to sample places that you think, okay, I'm going to go there for dinner. 
that evening or whatever that would be. So that's, I think that's why food tours are such such a popular um, uh, sector these days. So yeah. Yes. So in terms of uh, your tours, what have you found to be your sort of most popular tours today? What, what, what's, and have you tried any other tours actually that you thought that you've had to sort of stop or, or get rid of that maybe as a product that didn't work quite well? But what, what have you found that has been your sort of main your main uh, product and, and, and has worked extremely well for you? Yeah, so that's actually an easy question for me. We now have four different tours. Um but our original flagship tour, so to speak, is called the Sweet and Savory South End Tour. It takes place in the South End neighborhood of Boston, um, which is often confused with South Boston, although they're two totally separate neighborhoods with very different personalities. However, um, I think sometimes people think they might be visiting South Boston and we may actually get some, <laughs> some business because of that. Um, they quickly learn that it isn't, but are still, it's a beautiful neighborhood, um, really just picturesque. It has a great kind of uh, history of ups and downs and um, different groups that have moved through the neighborhood, bringing it to where it is today, which is a super eclectic food scene, food from all over the world. And a lot of the restaurant owners um, are from those countries and ended up in Boston for various reasons. So it's just a, a pleasure and an honor to be able to tell those stories. And that tour <clears throat> ran, it was the only experience we offered for essentially the first five years that we were in business um, for a variety of reasons. And uh, my first tour guide came on board in 2015. And, you know, then I started building my team after that. So that one has been written up the most. It has the most reviews written about it. Um, we have the strongest relationships in the South End just in terms of longevity. In fact, three of the six restaurants we visit on a regular basis um, have been on the tour since day one. So essentially for, you know, going on nine years, they've been they've been part of it, which I think speaks really highly um, yeah. to the experience that we're providing and the fact that, you know, they're just thrilled to continue to be a part of it. So that one, I think, um, maybe to my detriment with some of the other tours is just the one that's found the most and, and definitely books the most quickly we also offer that one uh, with the most regularity up to five times a week yeah. in the high season I am lucky uh, none of the tours that I've started I have really completely failed but um, I have definitely done a couple of things differently um, one so the second tour that I launched actually was a little bit of um we launched it to be a, a one-off tour for Art Week in Boston, which is essentially like an, a restaurant week, but for all things art-related, all kinds of art activities. So they contacted us, wanted us to modify the South End tour to be a little bit more art-based um, for purposes of Art Week. And instead, we decided to create a whole different tour in a different neighborhood that is well-known for um, its beautiful outdoor murals that are painted on the sides of a lot of businesses that initially started as a countermeasure to what had become a pretty significant graffiti problem. It really has turned the neighborhood um, into a beautiful outdoor gallery and has a lot of interesting uh, food elements considering that it's between two of the major universities in Boston, uh, Boston College and Boston University. So we're feeding a lot of students with that kind of fast casual comfort food, but also home to Boston's um, largest Korean population. So you get a lot of fast casual Korean and Korean um, fusion with with other means. So we started that tour. It took a lot of work, um, but I did it in cooperation with my two tour guides who lived in the neighborhood at the time. And then it just turned out so well. It was such a great tour. We decided to keep it on the regular schedule, but that one booked the least. Yeah. And the reason for that is one, people who live in and around Boston don't 
think Alston has anything to offer. It's not a place that they're necessarily looking to travel to unless they have a student in one of those colleges or, you know, something of that nature. And then tourists um, along the same lines are really looking to kind of stay in that typical traditional Boston experience. So it's it's definitely been eye-opening to see how important it is to know kind of where your customer base gathers, yeah. even though it's all in the, within the same city and Boston's not a huge city to begin with, but even just that distance between the downtown area um, is reflective of that. It's growing slowly. We're keeping it going. Um, but you know, that one, it's definitely kind of the polar opposite yeah. ends of the spectrum. No, it's, it's, I find that interesting actually, because um, there is obviously, there's a rise I, I'm finding and I know it's personal because I love art and, and I actually love graffiti as well. And when it's done properly, not just uh, I mean, it's proper art. Um, I know if there was the option of a of a, a tour with or without the the art side of things and seeing the public art and the, the graffiti stuff, I would always pick the art one myself. But I think that that's a that's also a growing market that's happening as well. So even though it's it's a slow burner, I can see that becoming more and more popular uh, as time goes on. So um, I wouldn't I wouldn't discount it quite yet. So it's uh, yeah. definitely keep it going. And I love the fact that you're only doing like no, I think you said that you're only doing sort of four tours. Because um, I, I a lot of businesses fall into the trap of trying to create so many different options for so many different tours, and just spreading themselves too thin. And it's focusing on products that you know work well, sell well, um, that you're passionate about. And then and running with them and, and, and maintaining that. So I, I, I commend you on only having the, the four products. And I think that's why a lot of businesses fail on, to be honest. So thank you. Yeah. And my newest tour is actually classic Bites of Boston tour. So that where the other tours are a little bit more off the beaten path, so to speak. Um, the classic tour really was born out of years of customers on our other tours asking us, you know, um, where do I get the best lobster roll and clam chowder and Boston cream pie, all the foods that Boston is known for. And initially I shied away from doing that. It seemed almost kind of too touristy in a way. And that wasn't, you know, nine years ago what I was going for. It was more of the local experience that people wouldn't um, you know, necessarily find on their own, but that brings with it a problem because people aren't finding you on their own either. So I did launch this tour. I realized last year that we could do this really well and stay on brand and have it, you know, speak the same way as our other tours do and give that local sort of off beaten path experience right in the downtown area. So yeah. we picked you know, four places, including the original Boston cream pie that goes back to the 1850s and, you know, created this beautiful experience where we talk about the food history behind four of the most iconic Boston foods and, and how they came you know, to be famous things that people eat in Boston. And like my other tours, but also still to my surprise, I expected the tour to go over really well with tourists and first time visitors, but it's really um, been overwhelmingly positive with locals too, because they have personal familial experience with these foods and themselves had no idea where, you know, the origins of a lot of them came from. So I'm really proud of the fact that on all of our tours, it really it really does appeal to both the tourist and the local. And we're lucky to have a good mix of that on a lot of our tours. And they really, I think, get a lot out of each other yeah. um, during the experience. Oh, excellent. Thanks. Actually, that's a good question. So what, what do you find as your sort of main customer base? Is it mostly locals or, or as you said, a good 50-50 split? No, where do you think most of them come from? It's um I would say, you know, on our on our regularly scheduled tours that we run in the neighborhoods, it's probably 60, 40, 60 weighted tours of the tourists and, and 40 being local. Um, but private tours have really become a huge uh, part of the business over this past year, especially. 
Um, that was a result of some really, uh, you know, good work with uh, writing some blog posts and then having an SEO um, consultant on the team who who sort of helped. We were ranking pretty high for company outings and bachelorette parties and you know things to do with groups in the city. And you know the 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 return on that has just been really amazing. And I've uh, had a lot. Primarily, those are local groups that are you know looking to do things in their own city. A lot of um, organizers within companies who have just been through all of the. <laughs> you know, all of the typical things to do with a group in the city looking for something different. And so I would say if you include the private tours in it, you know, we're probably even tipping the scales now more towards even a, a little bit of a, a local base yeah. in our customer. And I think that's that's such a great testament to you guys, and especially you know, for anyone who's listening or watching this, um, we're currently in the midst of the, the coronavirus sort of a, a thing that's going around. And one of the bits of advice that I'm giving operators is, is, and if you don't do it already, is to create products or, or and focus a little bit on the on the local markets, um, because people will who can travel to different countries or different destinations uh, will want to hopefully support the local businesses. And if they can do that by taking out food tours with you guys in Boston, that's your locals that are doing that, you're catering for them. That's another revenue stream that you could possibly have there, which will hopefully not maybe solve all your issues if you're being hit badly with the coronavirus, but at least it could be the difference between your business surviving or not if, if the worst was to happen. So uh, the fact that you have that is, I think it's such an important part these days. And I think I personally believe every business should have a local side of their business just in case, you no, know, as, as a backup, personally. But, yeah. Um, so, but no, so I it's, guess it's, it's good to have it. Sorry, I, I, I said, I guess we're, you know, and with, with the way things have been playing out here in, in past weeks, I we're lucky that that was um, a big focus and, and feature last year to go into this one. Hopefully that will you know, carry us through. And with the local market, too, if it comes down to it, I'm really hoping that that will be a way to keep my tour guides working as yeah. well if you know we do have to make changes on the regular tour schedules. Yeah. And that is a thing. It's, it's when, you, when it comes to your marketing, um, especially for locals, if, if you know, God forbid, the worst was to happen with this virus, it's, it's basically saying, look, we're here. We want to help support the local communities. So they're not just supporting your business. You're helping supporting the restaurants that you visit and all the other people, your tour guys, keep them in a job. And it's basically focus your marketing on that message and just say, let's all get together. Let's keep the local community going um, and let's basically get through this and hopefully we'll get out the other end. So um, that's what that's what we're advising a lot of our customers on as well. Yeah. So do, do, do you do you rely much on whether now or at the start, do you rely much on OTAs uh, and online travel agents? I actually don't. Um, I took a look, you know, at my numbers recently, and it, I'm about 92% direct business and 8% Fantastic. OT. Fantastic. Yeah. yeah, which is great. And, you know, more than half of that 8% um, is TripAdvisor via tour mm -hmm. sales. And then, you know, I had a bad experience with them a few years back, and I actually completely removed uh, my my tours from, from the site. Now they're going through, you know, their own changes this year. So it remains to be seen sort of what the fallout is with that. Um, unfortunately, I think that's, you know, sometimes certain OTAs, it's just something you have to be a part of in terms of awareness and, you know, showing up in, in places that you otherwise wouldn't. 
Um, and so I, I have been a little hesitant, you know, especially with food tours, especially, um, we have a lot of high costs, assuming that you are paying your restaurants for the food. I think a lot of people still don't quite understand that, 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 that is a major, um, yeah. at least us, I'll, I'll speak for my business alone, but that is a major component. Food is expensive in Boston. It's an expensive dining scene. Drinks and cocktails are very expensive. Um, so to have a tour that is based around food, um, just has you at, a higher ticket price to begin with. And I think that sometimes that gets associated with a, a huge margin, which isn't necessarily the case. And what a lot of OTAs want to take is just not reasonable, um, especially when you're still trying to grow and, you know, um, do a lot of other things and to have a, have a budget for other types of marketing to get people, you know, on these tours, to, you know, to have that flexibility. So for a long time, I steered away from some of them. Um, one I have worked with since the beginning, it's smaller and it's different, but it's, um, are you familiar with Cloud9 Living? I haven't heard of that one. Have to say. Yeah. So it's a it's a it's an experience based gift gifting website. So basically, instead of you know giving somebody a, a gift certificate to a store or something like that, uh, it's all experiences. So you basically gift somebody um, a Cloud Nine you know an experience through Cloud Nine Living, and when the person goes to redeem it, um, they can either redeem it for what it was given to them for or any other experience that's essentially offered on the site. And that's been a really great relationship. They've been easy to work with. Um, they send a lot of people our way, and that also is good because typically those gifts for our tour are being given to local people, um, either who live there and are celebrating something or who just moved to the city or just got married for a wedding gift. And so it's it does tend to bulk up um, our local customer base. Uh, so overall, you know, that's been a good one. And, and I do almost as much business with them as I do um, through TripAdvisor, which yeah. which is all small because, you know, like I said, a, a lot of my business isn't coming that way. And then it, I'll see what happens this year. I just joined on with some of the other OTAs. Uh, last season, Get Your Guide, which so far I'm really impressed with. Um, Expedia, uh, that one's sort of brand new, so I don't have much to base that one on yet. Um, so I am kind of putting putting it out there, testing the waters and seeing how it goes, but also hoping that I'll be able to, you know, keep most of the business coming on a direct basis too. Yeah, and I think that's a testament to um, what you're doing marketing-wise through the content and SEO and everything else you're doing. And it, and it proves that you can compete against the big OTAs. No, you can go direct uh, as long as you just have the patience and put the time and effort into it. Uh, no, you can do it. You're a testament to that. So I think that's fantastic. The OTAs have their place. They're, they're there, for, as you said, to test the market, mm -hmm. you know, reach a different market, reach a bigger market, um, uh, and maybe test out some new products to see how that works. But the fact that you've got, was it 92% of your business going direct? I think it's fantastic. And again, I commend you on that. That's, that's, that's incredible. In this day and age, that's incredible. So. Thank you. Yeah. And I think it's, you know, what's really important to me is the messaging to the customer too, you know, and a lot of the OTAs just their systems, it's much better, you know, having the API connection with my, with my ticketing system and having that go seamlessly where it used to be a much more manual process. And that just also becomes a huge chunk of time that you have less and less of uh, to commit to those reservations, but also the messaging and, and the questions we need to ask the customers when you have a food tour, just regarding allergies and dietary restrictions, there isn't an easy way. So we still are doing manual follow-up with a lot of those bookings because there isn't a way for them to ask that on their end and have it flow yeah. into our ticketing system. So at the end of the day, it's really important to me, we're able to provide the best experience possible if the customer start to finish is receiving our communications um, and not something that is slightly different 
depending on you know each company's platform and how you're able to input and, and convey information to the customer. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, I'm sort of surprised that hasn't come along a little bit more. Um, mm-hmm. That seems to be something at least that food tour operators from day one have been kind of complaining about, and yet it's not it's not something that has really changed to essentially any extent. So. Mm-hmm. We'll see how that goes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I'm going to um, finish off my last question. It's something I always like to try and uh, give something of advice to anyone who's watching or listening, and especially those who are maybe thinking about starting out their own tour company, whether it's food related or not. What would be the what would be one piece of advice you would give them that they should think about when starting up their own business uh, uh, in terms of what that could be, you know, marketing wise or just the experience of, you know, you were mentioning speaking to speaking to the restaurants, etc. Uh, that should maybe should have happened initially. What, what would be that one piece of advice you would say to someone um, if they were thinking about starting up a business? Yeah, I'd say hold off until the coronavirus crisis passes. <laughs> <laughs> Oh boy, I couldn't resist. But um, I think, you know, that's a a really interesting question. Um, I think my advice would be, I I think we're held back a lot of times by ask or overthinking and asking ourselves too many questions that definitely lean towards the negative. You know, it's kind of, well, if I do this and, you know, maybe for somebody it involves quitting a job and, and really taking a plunge and, and, you know, taking a big risk. And the first thing you ask yourself is what if it fails and what if it doesn't go well, but you know, on the flip side, what if it's awesome and it totally outperforms any expectations you had of it. We don't tend to ask ourselves that question. We always just, you know, go to the negative and that's the reason why we're held back instead of, you know, testing it. And I think that if it does outperform and it does exceed your expectations, the only question you're going to be asking yourself then is, is why didn't I do it sooner? You know? So I think doing something just for the sake of doing it, changing careers or starting a business, um, you know, that, that's, that's not something I would recommend. I think you definitely have to have a vision and a passion and something that you want to bring to life. Um, and, and once that's there, if you really have that and believe in it, I, I think go for it. Um, one question too, that for me looking back is also sort of knowing what you expect out of the career change and what you're about to start. Um, there's a lot of noise once you get going and you can't help but look at other businesses that are similar to yours, either in your own market or in other you know, parts of the country. And even you know, for the food tour conferences, you get together and you look at some of these businesses that started at the same time you did. And now they're in like 18 countries, you know, uh, across Europe. And you're kind of thinking, wow, like I have four experiences in one city, you know, and, it, and I think that's OK if you but if you don't know what you want or where you want to be, it can be a little bit um, confusing and even a little bit discouraging. So one, I guess, not looking at, you know, the competition, staying in your own lane and focusing on what you're doing is important, but you also kind of have to know what's going on around you. So when you do look at other businesses, try to keep focused on what it is you want, how big you want to get. Is it a lifestyle change that you're going after? Do you want more free time or do you want to grow into this, you know, big, large, Uh, business eventually. I think if you have a good understanding of that from as early on as possible, that will really help you, you know, stay focused and on your trajectory to what you want from your business and not kind of comparing yourselves and potentially becoming discouraged by people that are doing something different. (laughs) Yeah. 
I couldn't have said it better myself, and I think a lot of businesses fall into that trap. And business owners fall into that trap. They think the, green, the grass is always greener on the other side, but if they just focus on what they what they love, what their passion is, um, and not worry too much about the competitors. Yes, you've got to look and sort of see what, what's happening in the industry, but it's, it's be true to yourself, and that comes across to to the, your own customers. You know, if you're true to yourself and your your own personality comes across. I'm a big believer that that's what will help build up your business uh, through your marketing and everything else and not try to copy what, what a competitor could be doing and things like that. So be, just be true to yourself. Right. Yeah. yeah. And I think customers appreciate and definitely mm-hmm. recognize too. You know, yeah. they, they can see when you're truly passionate about what you're doing versus, you know, if it's just, oh, this is a business idea that I just figured I'd try. And if it doesn't work, move on to the next one. And, and there's a place for that too. I mean, there are definitely just, you know, um, serial entrepreneurs and, and they keep trying and eventually, you know, hit on it. And, and that's how it goes. And then I think I, I heard us referred to one time the phrase more of an ideapreneur, you know, it's you had this idea and you went for it. Um, not necessarily completely for the business end yeah. of it, which, um, you know, it's definitely this, this is my business and I'm excited about it. It does, it is, I probably work harder and, and longer hours than in any previous position I've had, but the rewards and just, you know, watching it grow is is so much more rewarding than yeah. anything I've done in the past too. <laughs> yeah. No, well said. No, I completely agree. <laughs> well, I can't thank you enough for your time. Like I say, I know you're busy and, uh, Alisa, uh, uh, hopefully I will get to meet again at another future arrival. Um, are, are you planning to go to arrival in Phoenix at all? Or? Yes, I am planning to go. So hopefully that will, Thank hopefully that will go as planned. And I am uh, hoping we'll kind of be over the hump by the time yeah. September rolls around. <laughs> yeah, just hoping. Well, again, thanks so much, and uh, I'll look forward to hopefully hopefully seeing you in Phoenix. Thanks, Chris. I appreciate the opportunity. No problem. No problem at all. Thank you. Yeah. Cheers. 